Welcome to the online service for Bridges Community Church, and thank you for joining us. This week, our service is a little bit different because we are not meeting in person on our campus in Los Altos. This is our annual beach worship and baptism service. So we're heading out to Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz and having our live in-person worship service out there. For the online service today, Pastor Dan has pre-recorded his message to share with you. And for the time of worship, we reached back into the archives and took uh, our worship service that we recorded in the height of the pandemic in the summer of 2020 when a group of us went out to the beach and recorded the time of worship. So right now, wherever you are, take a moment to prepare your heart to enter into worship. Let's sing to God. Let's praise God and let's hear from his word today.
Yeah. 
Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Likely one of the richest moments in your life, uh, in my life, uh, it was when we felt wanted, included, appreciated by a person or group of people who, who we also wanted and appreciated. Maybe it was in middle school, 
and you felt out of place in many settings, uh, like we all did in middle school, but then you found that one friend uh, or group of friends even who understood you, and instead of your awkwardness being a barrier to relationship like it was with so many others, for some reason with this person or with this group, your awkwardness fit, and you looked at each other and you said something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one, Um, and you were friends. Or maybe you were in high school, and for the first time, the person you had a crush on actually liked you back. You couldn't believe it, and you're suddenly passing notes in class when you used to make fun of people who passed notes in class. Or maybe you were in college, and you didn't find one or two friends who you really meshed well with. You found a whole group of friends. You finally felt like you had a crew, a community. Or maybe it was in your first job, and finally you could spend the majority of your hours, the, mo- ma- the majority of your effort doing the one skill that you are uniquely gifted to do, uh, and you didn't have to do all this other work for all these other classes that didn't have anything to do with what you really wanted to do, and you could focus on what you loved doing all the time. And suddenly, a whole company was grateful for you because of what you could contribute. And you thought, wow, I found where I belong. I found my people. We've all had some kind of moment or season like that, and whatever it was, that was likely one of the richest, most filling moments or seasons in our lives. Conversely, we've all had moments where we felt void of any sense of belonging whatsoever. We felt excluded or unwanted, and that was probably one of the most difficult or moments uh, or seasons in our lives. Maybe, maybe we put a lot of effort into a project and we were not appreciated, or maybe the entire middle school laughed at us, um, or maybe we were rejected by a friend or an entire friend group or a spouse. They wanted nothing to do with us anymore. And when that happens, that's as bad as it gets. That's as bad as life gets. We've all experienced those seasons. On the one hand, great unity, inclusion, togetherness, belonging. And on the other hand, great division, rejection, tension in a relationship. We know how great one is and how difficult the other is. Relationships are make or break in life. Um, So if someone asked us, describe what it is like to be deeply unified with others. They're like, tell me what it's like when you're really deeply connected, feel included together with others. What is that like? We'd probably say something like, well, those are my happiest moments. When, when I was with my friends and we laughed until we cried, yeah. what's better than that? Or when I was in love, that's the, that's the echelon of life. Unity and relationships is fabulously tremendous. We all know that. Psalm 133 written by King David in ancient Israel, makes the same observation, which means 
humans haven't changed much in thousands of years. Um, so David, in this psalm, is going to tell us, uh, he's going to tell us about the goodness of unity, he will, but uh, he's also going to tell us a bit more. He's going to tell us a requirement for unity and also the destination of unity. So let's look at these one at a time. Uh, the goodness of unity, which we've already introed, a requirement for unity. Where does it come from? How do we get it? And finally, the destination of unity. So goodness, requirement, destination. So first, uh, the goodness of unity. Unity is precious and overflowing. It is precious and overflowing. He, David brings up a cultural practice here, which we no longer do, uh, and frankly, I'm, I'm glad we, we don't do it anymore. But he describes unity as oil being poured over someone's head, which to us, right, oil poured over our heads, that just sounds disgusting. Uh, if, that, if that happens to us, we'd say, well, now I'm a mess and I need to take a shower. But for them, uh, it was part of their hospitality. Hosts would offer oil to their guests. It was a sign of wealth, prosperity. The harvest was good enough for us to have oil to share with others. Oil uh, was, also, was, was basically used as a lotion is today. I mean, think about what you would do for dry skin if you couldn't go to Target and, and buy a pump bottle of Aveeno. You'd have to do something, uh, and, they, and they used oil. Uh, if your skin was oiled, it, I mean, it was seen as part of their cosmetic health. You may remember the book of Esther. She's getting these, these beauty treatments, and, and part of that was oil for her skin. It also smelled nice, so it's kind of a perfume. Now, it's hard for us to imagine in enjoying oil all over us and in our hair, but but that's only because we use different products today. And if we didn't have skincare products and soaps and conditioners, if we didn't have all that, we, we would probably all start using oil again. It was very important to them. Um, it, and it was part of good hospitality to offer oil to your guests. And look at the picture here. David says unity is like precious oil. In other words, it's the good stuff. For a, uh, for a culturally relevant comparison um, to how we offer hospitality today, because we don't offer our guests oil anymore, but just, just think about you, you can think about a host not setting out hamburgers and hot dogs for guests, which would be fine. That'd be totally fine. But it wouldn't be the precious offering. Having the precious oil poured over you would be like if the host set out filet mignon, lamb chops. Someone says, hey, why don't you come over to the backyard? We're, we're going to hang out. And then you get there, and it is catered by Flemings, right? And you say, wow. And notice, it's not, it's not just a little bit of the good stuff. It's an overflowing amount of the good stuff. It's not just a couple of drops of oil on the head. It runs down the beard. It gets all over the clothes. Uh, the, the host is not being stingy with the good stuff. It's, it's tables and tables and tables of the best 
It's like the host flattens you with how much of the top shelf stuff they set out. That's the picture. That's what David says unity is like. It's precious and it's overflowing. Think for a moment the significance of specifically David writing this song. David, who saw relational strife for nearly his entire life. Saul tried to kill David on multiple occasions. David's son, Absalom, ran David out of town trying to overthrow his father's kingdom. Um, Then they had war. David had literal civil war with his son. That's pretty rough. Um, And then, even when David was firmly established on the throne, there was still Joab. Joab was his chief general, and apparently uh, Joab, David had, had some lingering tension with Joab because, because David told his successor to take out Joab after David was gone, which Solomon did. So it's hard to know when David experienced this type of unity in his life. Uh, was it with Jonathan, his best buddy? Maybe. But it didn't happen often with David. And yet, David writes of the goodness of unity, and he looks forward to the day when it will happen. And it will happen. Unity will, among God's people, will happen. We'll talk more of the certainty of it happening later. But what David's troubled past means for us at this point is if you are someone who aches over how broken relationships are currently in the church, you're, you're upset about it. You think, this is never going to be right. There's no, it seems like there's no hope. You can take heart. There is hope. Because if David, of all people, can hope for unity, then surely all of us can as well. And perhaps, actually, you more than most... Um, can anticipate how wonderful it will be when we will finally dwell in unity together because you feel right now how tragic it is that we aren't. Um, As you know, uh, one one of the key areas of emphasis for our church is building community because, well, the Bible tells us to do it. But also, uh, loneliness and isolation seem to be really big issues, uh, especially post pandemic. Um, so, so we're working on it. We're working on unity and community in the church uh, always. So one of the main reasons we go to the beach on a Sunday in the summer is because we are aiming for this kind of unity. We want to give our congregation an opportunity to grow in unity with each other by being all together. Uh, Because unity doesn't happen overnight, Uh, typically. Typically, it doesn't happen overnight. The cliche is that you can't make old friends. Old friends are wonderful, of course, but you can't say, I'm going to go out and make me some old friends today, right? It, It takes longer than that, typically, which means we won't get to the kind of unity described in this psalm if we simply sit next to someone in a pew and exchange a couple of pleasantries every week. Unity won't happen. Even if we are in a life group, and I hope all of us are in a life group, we have to be much more involved than simply showing up 
in giving our perspective on whatever verse or lesson the group is studying that week. Uh, Because talking about a particular verse or a particular interest with someone is great, of course, but if that is the only interaction we have with a person or group, we just discuss the meaning of some verse and then we leave. If that's the only interaction we ever have, we will never, ever describe our relationship with them as an extravagant overflow of preciousness. In order to have this precious overflow of unity, we we typically have to be together a good bit, typically. Um, So one large goal of beach worship Sunday Um, When we are not in our church building, we go to the beach all together. One large goal of that is to spend extended time together as a congregation, and ideally time with people who we may not usually spend time with. Uh, You may have noticed uh, in the the past several months, we've had a few events like this. We've had an Easter breakfast, which was about an hour and a half together. Uh, Fantastic glad we did that. Then we had a summer kickoff lunch, which was a couple hours together. See, we're increasing the time. Um, and now we're going to spend all afternoon together because we want to give our congregation lots of opportunity to spend time together. Uh, time is not the only factor in creating unity. And, uh, and of course, uh, we can all think of instances when The more time we spent with someone, the less unified we were with that person. That happens. So time together uh, isn't the only ingredient, but but, uh, if a group has excessive, extravagant, precious unity, then they will have spent significant time together. Uh, It it is essential. It's just just not the only uh, essential ingredient. So we want to make space for, for our congregation to spend that kind of time together as, as a corporate body. Um, and if you miss beach worship this year, um, and you're not hanging out with us all day on the beach, which, if you're watching this online, um, it probably means you aren't at the beach. If that's you, we missed you. We missed you don't want to give you some kind of guilt complex, but really, we missed you being there. Obviously, we understand there could be some health or some mobility reasons that would prevent you from making it, but, but if possible, if possible, and it might not be possible, but if possible, make plans to be there next year. We, we want the whole congregation to feel unified. We want that. Uh, we need to spend time together in order for that to happen. Okay, Uh, So that's the goodness of unity. It's precious and it's overflowing. Secondly, what unity requires? Dependence on God and others. Dependence on God and others. Dependence isn't the only requirement for unity, but it is a requirement uh, because unity is a gift, meaning we rely on someone else to provide it for us. Ultimately, we will say that unity is a gift given by God, but before we get there, let's just slow down for a minute. In the text, unity is first compared to, like we said, a hospitality practice, pouring oil over another. And 
As with any hospitality practice, the recipient is reliant on the host. It's up to the host if he or she pours any oil on you. It's up to the host if the precious oil is used. It's up to the host how much oil is used. Will the oil pour down over your clothes, uh, or will, will it only be one drop on your head, right? The guest is dependent on the host, and unity is like that. We really are reliant on others in order to have unity. In other words, we can't accomplish unity by ourselves in isolation. By definition, others must be involved and they must come through. We are counting on them. Um, and they are counting on us too. In this metaphor of someone pouring oil, we are actually on both sides of the equation. We are both host and recipient. Uh, if, if we don't come through for others being the host, then there won't be unity. And if they don't come through for us, we being the recipient, then again, there won't be unity. It takes everyone to get the blessing or it won't work. Now, uh, observation, probably all of us need improvement on either, to continue the metaphor, either being the host or being the recipient. Because some of us are good at giving and others of us are good at receiving. But few of us, it seems, are good at both. So likely, most of us need to be corrected somewhat uh, on one side or the other. If you are, just check yourself here, if you are someone who is always willing to be there for other people, you want to give to other people, be hospitable to other people, welcome other people, listen to other people's problems. Great, you're a good host. But what, what often happens is someone like that tends to struggle to let other people be there for them. They say, I don't want anyone to know that I am sick. I don't need anything. I'll pray for you. I don't need you to pray for me. I'll listen to your problems, but I'm not going to tell you my problems. Someone like that, who doesn't want to rely on others, doesn't want to be dependent on others, probably thinks they're doing the other person a favor. Right? Maybe, they, maybe they don't want to be a bother. Maybe they don't want to cause worry. Right? Or maybe it's just pride. Maybe it's like rugged American individualism. I can make it on my own, okay? Which, which as a country is a totally different story. It's made us very wealthy, but it's also made us very lonely statistically. Again, different story. But whatever it is, okay, whatever, whatever causes us to say, I'm not going to tell other people about my needs. I'm not going to let them wait on me. Whatever your motivation is, which might be a, you know, a, a very commendable motivation, but whatever your motivation is. It is a barrier to unity. It is a barrier. You actually aren't doing anyone any favors. You are preventing unity. Unity requires dependence. And if you aren't willing to be dependent, you won't have unity. The metaphor is someone is waiting with precious oil to pour out. They got it. They want to use it. They, they have it. They, they want to pour it out. But you never show up. 
The oil never gets poured. In these ancient uh, Near Eastern cultures in which this psalm was written, travelers would come up to a city, and there weren't really hotels, so they would wait in the town square for some local resident to offer them room and board, and then, uh, and then it was up to the local resident uh, how much hospitality they provided. So, do they pour oil on the traveler? Do they, give, do they water their donkeys? Do they only give them a manger? Um, amazingly, the system kind of worked. Uh, people, people usually found lodgings. It's incredible that that worked. And the system helped to create unity, relationship, and gratitude between traveler and host. You can imagine. They chat and be grateful and get to know one another. But what if there were some rugged American individualists traveling in the ancient Near East, and they come up to a town? But instead of looking for a local host, they say, oh, I, I don't want to bother anyone. I'll just sleep under the stars with my donkey. Okay. Uh, but then you're never going to have unity. You're never going to have a relationship. You're never going to have gratefulness for someone else. Because here was a host who was waiting for you, ready. But because you kept your needs quiet, you both missed that opportunity for connection. They were waiting to pour out the oil, and you never showed. They had a gift. You didn't receive it. So you robbed them of the opportunity for connection. And you robbed yourself because you are not willing to be dependent. See how independence is a barrier to unity? It's a barrier. Sure, you can make it on your own. Of course, you're capable. You'd figure it out. I'm not questioning that. But is independence even the goal? Is, is making it on your own, is that the definition of success? Have you believed that that is the definition of success? If so, let me challenge that. Are those the happiest moments in your life? When you said, I did it all by myself. Is that your happiest moment? I mean, it's a good moment, sure, great. But is it the best moment? I doubt it. Again, I bet the happiest moments in your life are when you are deeply connected and included with others. And if relationships, if unity in relationships are your happiest moments, then don't put up barriers to unity by saying something like, I don't want to be a bother. You're preventing unity when you say that, which means you are preventing the richest moments in your life and you are preventing the richest moments in someone else's life, too, because they missed the opportunity for connection with you. So you may need to improve on receiving, maybe. Uh, on the other side, you, you may be great at asking for help. You're always down in the town square waiting for someone to listen to your problems. You show up to various groups looking to find out what they can do for you, uh, and you're you're always talking about how people need to include you more. You, you, you ask for people to tell you that you are special like, all the time. Um, you're great at that. You're great at receiving. Great at being dependent. But often, 
people like that tend to neglect the need to give. So if you always want the oil poured out on you, always want people to accommodate you more, but you're not just as available to pour out and invest into others um, as you want them to be to you, you are as big a barrier to unity as the person who never shows up to have the oil poured on them. If the town square is full of people looking for lodging, but no one is offering lodging, that won't create unity either. We've got to be both sides, the one who pours the oil and the one who has the oil poured on them. Um, And likely there is one of those that is more natural to you than the other. Uh, So we probably all need to be corrected somewhere. Um, If we're going to end up with the overflowing preciousness of unity, we all need to play both roles, or it won't happen. But it actually takes more than just relying on each other. It takes relying on God as well. The metaphor of the dew on the mountain brings out God's role in the gift of unity. Uh, The name is Mount Hermon and Mount Zion, verse 3 may not mean much to you, uh, and they don't mean much to me without a little research, other than I know they are uh, in Israel. But, but as, it, as it turns out, um, I'll spare you, spare you the time of looking it up, there was a tremendous amount of dew on Mount, and moisture on Mount Hermon, like always. It was known for it, but not so with, uh, with Mount Zion, which was often dry. Occasionally, though, the heavy dew from Mount Hermon would find its way to Mount Zion, bringing coolness and refreshment, cleansing. Whenever that happened, the people would realize this is a special gift from God. Not all mornings are like this. We don't, we don't always get this dew, the, the fresh air. Um, they could breathe easier. The dust was gone because of the dew. It, it was a gift, and they saw it as such. If God weren't involved... We wouldn't have this blessing. And unity is like that. We, we absolutely need to rely on each other. Um, but there's another element to it as well. Even with significant effort on our part, sometimes um, we don't quite achieve the precious unity that is described here. So, when you experience this type of unity, the, the precious overflowing unity, it is proper to stop and thank God for it because it is a gift. It doesn't always come. It's, it's rare. It's often fleeting. We should both strive for it, work hard for it. Absolutely. We've got to play our parts. And also, give thanks for it when it happens because who knows when it will happen again. It's, it's special. It doesn't happen all the time. But there will come a day And this is what we alluded to at the beginning, when unity is no longer fleeting, when the type of unity described here is lasting, enduring, even forevermore, verse 3, when the bond between relationships is never shaken, when our richest moments being deeply connected to one another, included uh, with others, when those will last forever. And if our richest moments could last forever, what is eternal life but that? 
So finally, uh, the destination of unity is life forevermore, both with God and with others. Um, life forevermore with God and with others. That's the destination of unity. That's where we're going. God's uh, objective in creation, at least one of them, is to be in relationship with people and for those people to be in relationship with each other. That does not mean God created us because He was lonely. He was not. He already had fullness of relationship within Himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But He created us in order to share with us what He already had. He was apparently like, hey, relationship is great. Let's bring others into this. Um, but not just individ individuals connecting with God one by one, although that's fine. He wanted more than that. What he wanted was for him and us and others to have the same kind of relationship all together that he has within himself. That's what life is about, because that is the reason, a reason, we were created. So if we try to make life about something else, we are going against the design of creation. If we think the purpose of life, for instance, is to achieve some level of success or to get some status or to have a certain amount of wealth or power, if that's what we're going after with our lives, of course we're going to feel empty because that's not what life is about. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God defines life in terms of relationship. Jesus says, for instance, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they, meaning us, we would know the true God and Jesus Christ who he sent. Life is knowing him, being with him, being in relationship with him. But Jesus goes on in that same prayer asking that we uh, would, that we would also have unity. He uses that word, unity, just like Psalm 133, that we would have unity with each other. This is John 17, 23, just like the unity he has with the Father, that we and him and the Father and us, we could all be one together. And he defines all of that as life, just like Psalm 133, put life forevermore in the context of of unity, like first verse, unity, last verse, life forevermore. It's all through the Bible. In the middle of Psalm 133, David draws out that God invites us into that kind of unity with both God and others. Um, one, of, one of the nuances of this passage is when it describes the hospitality practice of pouring oil on someone's head. Uh, it mentions the name of the person who is getting the oil. It says, it says the oil is poured on Aaron, gets on Aaron's beard, and down on Aaron's robes, which again, the name Aaron may not immediately mean much to you, but he was the first priest, and his descendants were priests after him. And priests were anointed with oil as part of becoming qualified to go into the temple area to, to meet with God, which was one of the priestly duties. But here's the thing. The oil uh, the priests were anointed with didn't belong to them. It, it wasn't their oil. It also didn't belong to somebody else in the, in the community. It belonged to God. Everything in the temple symbolically belonged to 
God. There's the lampstand, consecrated bread, there's the table, the ark of the covenant, the tablets, the, the oil. It was all God's. Uh, the priests were able to use it, and they did, but none of it was theirs. So here's the symbolism. If the oil poured on Aaron and his descendants is God's oil, then God is the host. God is providing the hospitality. God is the one inviting us in. And that is life forevermore, when we will have unbroken unity with Him um, and unbroken unity with others. It's life forevermore. God is after both of those. Connecting with each of us individually, yes, but also connecting with each other uh, and with Him corporately. God wants both. God's going to get both. God will get back what was lost in the garden. Like we said, God, God created people to share the relationship that already existed within himself. Again, that's why we were created. That is our purpose. But we, humanity, walked away from that relationship. We walked away from perfect unity. And as a result, we have created all the strife that has happened in the world ever since because we, we broke what life is about. We gave up on God, and in many cases, we gave up on each other. We, we made life about something else, and in doing so, that's what the Bible calls sin. But rather than give up on us like we gave up on Him, God pursued us Quite literally, Jesus came to earth in order to make it possible for us to reconnect with God. He chased after us, which proves how much relationship means to him. And then, when he was on earth, in order to reconnect us to God, Jesus bore the weight. He bore the burden of the separation that we created between us and God. He bore the pain of our self-imposed isolation from God. Since we had forsaken God, Jesus became forsaken on the cross so that we could be reunited to God. In other words, he carried the damage, he carried the rifts, he carried the brokenness that we caused so that we could be restored. And now that we have unity with God again, if we have trusted in Jesus to restore us to him, our relationship with him works in us in such a way that it is in the process of repairing all of our other relationships to the extent that eventually, someday, all the brokenness will be restored. All the strife that we have created will be undone, and we really will have life forevermore dwelling in eternal unity with both God and his people. It will happen. May we be as captivated by that day as David was when he wrote this psalm, and may we work for it and pray for it as fervently as Jesus did when he said, may we be united as one just as he is with the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of unity. Lord, may we, may we work for it. Lord, may we see it as a precious gift and put our energy and effort into accomplishing it. May we be dependent on others and may we give and care for others. And may that bind us together. And Lord, thank you uh, for Christ who has unified us with you 
And thank you that one piece of the brokenness that we have caused has been put back together, that we are with you, Lord. And by being with you, we will now step out into all of our other relationships and work to repair those as you have worked to repair the one with us. Lord, uh, may we be ever grateful for you and your son and what you have done to restore um, what we have caused. Uh, We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Bye, John.